Bob Stoops ruined my childhood. It's the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. If you listen to this OU Compliance, I don't endorse that last message. With Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault. Mike Stoops should be put on trial for war crimes. I made a the comment to one of the uh, – uh, are we recording? Oh, yeah. No, okay. I made oh. a comment to a media member during the press conference. And Was it Kersey? Was it Eddie? Was it James Hale? John I, Hoover. I, I wasn't contacting James Hale because James Hale was driving. That'd make it even more I see. difficult. Yeah. I've got a screenshot of that. Can I, I'm, I'm going to show you this while we're recording so you can see it. Please. Um, But, you know, last week's podcast about, you know, kind of the doom and gloom of what we were facing. Yep. And then uh, when you <laughs> see it. That is a great look. Yeah, while, a- while he was driving. That's dangerous. Media what? members, please do not drive and Zoom conference. Don't do that. I don't even. How, I, I, how much time do they give you guys like beforehand? Because sometimes like sometimes the thunder will just drop information like, OK, this is going to happen. But usually they'll do it like at least the night before. They don't. They rarely do like in an hour. Sam Presti's going to talk to you. Mm hmm. No, we had a full day ahead of time. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. But no, as I was, as I was saying before, last week's podcast about the doom and gloom. Big Twelve decides to flex on everybody in the world of public relations. Then Joe Castiglione talks, and even then, during his talk, I know you know it seemed like there was a lot of positive stuff that came out of that. I didn't. He didn't exude any more confidence than he has before in my opinion and then Lincoln Riley talks you have nine new positive cases of COVID-19 hey did you hear yesterday that it's safer for players to be on campus than it is not how did that become such a big story it was just was the misquote by another Oklahoma reporter did that just really because I missed the start of that fire well, first of all, Keegan, let's not uh, jump ahead of ourselves. This is the Inside OU podcast, <laughs> and that was Keegan Renault doing a solo podcast on his own. And I am but a mere mortal, your humble host, Brady Trantham. Uh, this is the Inside OU podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. And like Keegan said, last week was the doom and gloom episode. Basically, the last six, seven episodes can be, you can probably categorize each one as like the six or how many stages of grief are there? <laughs> this one can just be acceptance. Last last week was just pure and utter anger mm-hmm. and frustration. And now we're just like, you know what? It, it's going to happen. We know the season's going to be canceled or post. They're, they're going to say postpone because the lawyers are like, they got to do that for the lawyers and the tuition money. And like, I'm scared of lawsuits. So they're going to say that it's going to be postponed probably until the spring. We'll get to that in a second. But yes, Joe Castiglione comes out, Zoom conference, puts out, um, I guess, just this whole thing about a lot of the pragmatic things that we know are going to be a part of the whole situation. If you want to come to the stadium in which 25% of, uh, which is at 25% capacity, if you want to come to the stadium. Projected. Make sure that's protected. You have to wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, then uh, don't come to the game. To which... Uh, former friend, or he is a fr- he is a friend of the podcast. Former host of this podcast, John Hoover, put out his article from Sports Illustrated, 
And then Joe Castiglione, for whatever reason, wanted to dunk on him on Twitter. Um, This isn't the time for me to give my thoughts on Joe Castiglione. He's a salesman, nothing more. But we don't need to go any further. I don't know why he wanted to do that. But that was interesting. Another interesting, interesting thing he said was, well, perhaps like 10 positive cases could be enough to potentially like cancel practices, cancel games. And then the next day, like you said, Keegan, nine positives. And then you pose the question, are they in fact more safe? I, I, it was, I was being sarcastic. But. Well, look, th- that's going to be a question that's asked. That's going to be a question that's asked time and time again. And I think what Nick Saban was probably saying, I think it was Nick Saban. And I think what Saban was talking about was, Players are more inclined to get the virus when they're at home with nothing to hold them accountable, when they're just free to go to the store, when they're just free to interact with whoever. But when they're on campus, under the constructs of their policies, their rules with coaches like kind of in their ear, as close to them as they possibly can get, they're more likely to be protected from it because mm-hmm. they have to answer to somebody. And I think that's simply what he meant. I don't think he f- he absolutely meant what it literally sounds like. They must be physically on campus. They are safer here. There is a bubble on campus. No, that's not the case, especially yeah. when 18,000 idiots show up and they're just like, let's go to Logie's. Let's go to the strip. Oh, God, I'm trying to, trying to get laid tonight. You idiots. And they're going to be the ones who bitch and moan on Twitter why do we have football? Everyone here's a sheep. They just the mask doesn't do anything. This whole thing's a hoax. So you know, screw all y'all for being idiots. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's how we'll stop start it. But like I said, this is not going to be an angry one like last week. This is the acceptance part because we know where this is going. Yeah. And the thing, kind of like you said about the safer campus. One again, I want to reiterate that was a joke. That. There was a misquote out there about Lincoln Riley from a media member. And oh, yes, the off, national media. It like took they, off like wildfire. Well, that's what fires do is they take off. I mean, when I was waiting. So it started with Clay Travis got a hold of it, and I was waiting for the step from Clay Travis to Donald Trump. Why, why, are, we, why are we invoking the name of Clay Travis? Um, an unattractive troll who um, I would imagine has some type of... I would imagine has some type of frustrations of which I don't want to get too specific, but yeah. I'm sure he struggles with some type of frustrations he's, in his life, which, you know, my prayers and thoughts go out to him. He's but. a, like, if you just want to choose to go to the other side, like he just literally just chooses the opposite side of what everybody else is thinking and runs with it. You know what? Oxygen is a lie. <laughs> Maybe it's actually killing us, and it just I, takes I w- like 87 years to kill us. It was funny how he quickly pivoted, though, from players are this proves that players are safer on campus to this proves that players are safer under like a strict like lifestyle, like the way they operate within you know yeah. practicing and stuff. But there, I, enough of that. There, it was I don't think you know, and I'll, I'll say this again. You know, I was talking to a media member during this. I I don't see this during. I don't see this nine positive cases. I don't see it as much of an issue as I do if it becomes 15, if it becomes 25 next, you know, in the next couple rounds of testing, because that's how it's spread within the Cardinals clubhouse and the Marlins clubhouse. You have one, two people and then it spreads and it, it, it does its thing. I think it's incredible though, that, you know, you, a lot of us kind of a dis- dismissed, you know, I'm going to get a ton of people, you know, 
infected from this deal. If I'm positive, you know, wear my mask, social distance, all these things. Then you have the Oklahoma State sorority house where they had 23 positive. Then you had the, you know, and then you have the Cardinals and the Marlins, for example. So I don't, I don't see this as big of an issue. And as I said, I actually asked a football question yesterday. Now, after Lincoln Riley came out and said the nine positives, I definitely second guessed if I was going to ask a football question or not. So the death at linebacker coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I asked him about Jalen Conyers and why he was listed as a wide receiver on the roster. So, yeah. Um, but no, it was, it's a, uh, it's been an interesting week though. You know, it just, like you know you get the blood flowing about getting prepared for a football season and then it just brings you right back down and i think yep. these videos of uh college campuses the last 24 hours have i can tell you from talking to people at oklahoma is not how do i say this the right way they they are not happy for what the next two no. weeks is going to look like potentially no but look like we kind of already talked about this before we started recording keegan but I mean, I got to be honest, I can't, I'm obviously a very annoyed person. It doesn't take that much to annoy me, but this whole song and dance that people are doing on social media of being just collectively aghast by the videos uh, from Ames or from Stillwater or from Tuscaloosa of a bunch of 18 to 21 year olds, hopefully they're all 21 because that's how old you have to be to drink in this country, but you know, that's a different story. I was from South Carolina, so well, I can do that. There you go. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, like all these videos where people are seeing on Twitter, quote tweeting them and just going like, I can't believe this. Really? Can you not believe that? It's, it is college student human spirit and nothing stopping them from going because the bars, the, are, open. The bars are open. You know, really, if you wanted to have football in the fall, and I think I may have brought this up to you in the group chat like a long time, a few months ago when I was, you know, screaming from a mountaintop that hey we need to go to the spring and then someone would say like that's not feasible x y and z reasons and i'd be like okay well if we want to do fall football then we cannot have any students on campus or if you want to have students on campus because i understood like yes they're going to want the colleges are going to want their money and that's the bottom line always in every question if you want to do this then at the time when we were all locked down whenever we're able to open back up Local leadership needs to tell all these vendors and these businesses, hey, we're going to be open for as long as we're able to be open for. You know, if there's a spike, then we'll obviously um, address that. But a month before kickoff, we are closing back down. And we're telling you this now so you can prepare for it, so your employees can pre prepare for it, so your customers can prepare for it. And it's not going to be ideal, but it's much better than just tomorrow you're closed. Because mm -hmm. if you wanted football... You don't need what's going on. And people who are shocked at this, I'm sorry, that is just manufactured shock. This is, we knew this was going to happen. We've talked about this for the last three yeah. weeks, three or four weeks. Oh, yeah, it's great that OE's been able to get no positives on their team, but we all know it's going to be a different story once the kids come on, come on campus because they don't have to follow Lincoln Riley's rules. And the bars are open. And Thursday nights, Friday nights, Saturday nights, when you're bored and you're a college kid and you're hanging out, hanging out at home, like, I want to go out to the bars, hang out with some friends. Or if you're, you know, your girl, the girl you got a crush on is at some bar, you want to go hang out with her for the guy that you have a crush on. Because there is like three or four ladies that I think listen to this podcast. If that guy's at the bar, you want to go hang out with them. It's just simple human nature. And this whole circle jerk of, oh, this is just terrible. How dare they? 
it's going to be because of them that we don't have football. No, it's because of leadership. Mm-hmm. Like we had five months to prepare for what we knew was going to happen. This was all easily predictable. And yet we're all sitting here going, oh man, I can't believe this. It's just the fact of the, the you know, the people in general, I guess, like you said, were shocked by this. Like, did you expect college kids not to go out? Like, you were in college once. Well, like everybody that has had, the, everybody that has a platform covering OU or covering college football, everyone has said the same thing. It's like, yeah, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So then why are we still shocked when we see the actual video of it? We know things go on in life, and yet we have to see a video in order to showcase to the world that I am against this. I mean, I'm kind of. You cover OU football, yeah. so it's different for you. I'm not talking about media members because you guys have more than a vested interest in this all working out the way that we want it to work out. I think everybody just is taking everything and using it as an example. Oh, I, I guess know. that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. And they're trying to make it political. And that's if there's anything I learned from Saturday from, you know, like I mentioned about Clay Travis and a, a handful of others. But, I mean, it, it, it everything has become political. And... That's the kind of the issue that we're in with that. But, you know, when it when it comes to college football, it just – it is making it harder and harder to envision that this thing is going to be able to get through. And I'm sure we'll get a game, game, two games, three games, four games. But, you know, just the fact that it te- all it takes is one, two, three people to get infected with this thing to infect a locker room. And – Obviously, we haven't heard much about Oklahoma and the reason why. I know Nicole Auerbach of the Athletic reported it was from the you know the they are she had heard that the nine cases were people that stayed around of the seventy five percent of the players that stayed last week. Um, pivot real quick here. You, you feel like Lincoln Riley should be at fault for these no. positive cases? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. And anyone that's saying that he is they're trying to get clicks and retweets like your clay travis's and i i'm not going to give them any more time than we already gave him on this <laughs> like th- those are those are fools and that was yeah the unfortunate thing is those people will get an audience mm-hmm. meanwhile i'm recording this podcast with you in my uh in the what is this called the podcast it's a loft <laughs> it's a loft apartment i can't think of words 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 as steven adams would say but um lincoln riley's not at fault Coaches aren't shouldn't be at fault with this. The only way that they're at fault is if they're like UAB's coach and they're like, yeah, we just don't test or we only test if they show symptoms. I can't remember what the Syracuse exact... was testing every other week. And that's weird because they're in fucking New York. Yeah. You know, it was like ground zero for about three months. Mainly because their governor just didn't want to close anything down for the first month. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> also, shout out to the dude or gal, I don't know, that left a comment on our uh, Apple Podcasts review page, which thank you all for leaving reviews and listening. We really do appreciate that. But somebody left a reply. <laughs> like, all 30 minutes or 60 minutes of COVID talk. I mean, we have to talk about it because we're not going to have football to talk about if people don't just be safe yeah that's or smart you know because it's not even a safe thing it's just be smart again i want to reiterate to the people that are saying that i there were only three football questions 
on the Zoom conference call with Lincoln Riley on Saturday. Now, yeah. I know they had nine new positives come up, but we're a month out to the season, and my, all my head was at heading into that call was that, you know, we're getting geared up for football. And that's – I, I it's, we're trying to do that. Like, I, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of the schedule and some opting out news that pop, luckily popped up before we recorded this podcast. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's it's – it's what we're dealing with. It, 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 this is, I mean, and, I, and I'm with you. I, the people that are tired of t- hearing about it, talking about it, whatever. But whenever it's continued to be prevalent news, that's something that's something we have to talk about, and especially when it, it, it is impacting college football. Yeah, and guess what? If leadership just on a college football on a university level had taken care of business for five months instead of just blindly assuming that things would be better by now. We wouldn't have to talk about it because students wouldn't be on campus. Only athletes would be on campus and we would have football. It'd be different. Mm -hmm. And there would be some, some, probably some games where some key players had to sit out because they were asymptomatic, but positive. But you know what? That's much better than we'll probably get one pay-per-view game in and then close this whole thing down. You're not sending your kid to school if they're asymptomatic. You see that story this week? Oh God. Locally, local. It's Westmore. Idiots. Idiots. Uh, I don't have a kid, but I can tell you right now, that's bad parenting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, I don't know, segue into what we're talking about next since I decided to get, exactly. this, get you know, this kicked off. You know you know who's probably sitting around going, motherfucker. There's a correct answer here. Trey Sermon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's getting He's the not playing football. At, like, as of right now, he is not playing football this, this fall. And now Kennedy Brooks is gone because he's opting out. And that's that's his choice. I'm not at all upset as an OU fan about it. Um, I can completely understand just I'm out here putting my body on the line every week unnecessarily from the standpoint of I don't know if we're even going to get a game in or if we're going to finish the season. My thing is, is what does Kennedy Brooks gain? There's like Trey Sermon. Uh, Trey, Sermon Trey Sermon needed a year for of tape. In order to progress up the NFL draft board, like can we are we the Kennedy NFL wasn't and, making a leap, man. He was not going to no. make a leap, so he wasn't going to gain anything, but he could lose something. Exactly. So, yeah, and that's I think that's probably it. Plus, you get you basically get a year to rest your body, and that's for a running back. That's an excellent. He's thing. taking a ton of carries. You remember the complaint out of high school? He was oh, getting yeah. like 20, 30 carries every game. Where His, was he out see, of? Uh, Mansfield. Mansfield. Uh, is I don't know if it was Mansfield High. I, I don't remember, but. I mean, he was getting 25-plus carries a game in high school. And then gets – I looked this up. I don't know how many times this has happened under Lincoln Riley since he's been in Oklahoma, but he got back-to-back 20-plus carry games this year. He carried the ball 25 times into Oklahoma State. You remember how good he was in that game? Oklahoma's offensive line was obviously just dominating. But, yeah. but his patience – and something in that game I noticed, and I remember asking uh, Barry Trammell about this, actually before we go any further, credit Jason Kersey, The Athletic, for the report. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic, right? Sure. It's, it's their money. I mean, I'm not going to tell them what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, he – so, it, obviously a huge loss, though, right? Uh, they just – the running back room in general just could not have taken more hits. And – they are at a point now to where the first half of this season, it's going to be TJ Pledger, Seth McGowan, and the, Marcus Major. Yep. Marcus Major should have been second in line there. But 
that I mean, that's what you're looking at. And now you got Michael Henderson's a guy that could probably probably be running back. Um, I know Brian Darby, uh, both of the high school signees last year. Some of the underrated guys can, but this is a uh, puts Oklahoma in a tough spot. They, you know, it's it's TJ Pledger's time, and this is a guy that's sort of not had things break his way since being at since being at Oklahoma. Whether it's you know being behind Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks or um, other guys when he first got or Rodney Anderson in 2017 whenever he came up. So um, his time to shine. And then we'll see, uh, I obviously, what Marcus Major and Seth McGowan are made of. And I know, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but, th- you know, there's a lot of buzz last year about Marcus Major before he got hurt and then didn't practice at all. Yeah. So you, to go with that, you got TJ Pledger, who hasn't got any meaningful snaps. Then you've got Marcus Major who didn't practice at all his freshman year. And then you got Seth McGowan, who hasn't had a spring or summer to go through at the running back. And he position. was the number – I mean, he was not the number two choice, but he was essentially what became the number two choice because Jace McClellan on signing day goes to Alabama. Absolutely. So he's a, he's a guy like when I – was one of the few players in that class where I actually sat down and watched tape. And I've got to say, like, I'm kind of impressed with Seth McGowan at the same time, not having a spring, not mm-hmm. having a fall. That, that does concern me, but – I'll just because we don't know when the season's going to be canceled or postponed. Let's just try and apply this to like we're going into a normal season, so a normal twelve game season with a bowl game, playoff scenario, whatever. This is a big loss. Make no mistake. Kennedy Brooks is a very good running back. Um, he's got a lot of great skill. He's got a lot of great attributes that make him a really key piece to Lincoln Riley's offense, and the numbers speak for themselves. Having said that. If this is a normal season, it's a big loss for the first month. Yeah, and that's mainly because I have a, a good opinion of Kennedy, Kennedy Brooks. I think Trey Sermon had a higher ceiling than him. Mm-hmm. I think Kennedy is probably just more consistent because all he does is run straight. And guess what? They put that, what was it, power football or whatever, put out that stat about he leads the country in yards per carry before contact. Mm-hmm. It's because he's running straight through gigantic Bill Bedenboe offensive line holes. So, like, good. He's not blazing fast. He, he can't cut on a dime. He just does his job. And there's a lot of admirable traits about that. He could very well have a very strong NFL career because of that. But he's not I – don't, I don't put him in the special category by any means. I don't put him in an All-American category by any means. No, he's, but- at a best-case scenario, he's an all-conference back, but – in Lincoln Riley's offense at the running back position, unless you're Joe Mixon, Samaj P. Ryan, Rodney Anderson, you're not going to get enough time or enough carries to be an all-conference back. So it's a big loss at the beginning of the year because of the depth and the lack mm-hmm. of experience, and that's it. And with those three or four games, maybe it's Marcus Major, maybe it's McGowan, maybe it's TJ Pleasure, maybe it's somebody else that switches positions from this point on. And with those three or four games under their belt, they take it over because that's usually what happens with right? happened with Ronnie Anderson in 2017, having with Kennedy Brooks halfway through the season with him. So I think it's a big loss early on. I, I'm not going to sit here and say the sky is falling because Kennedy right. Brooks opted out. No, it's not. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson was the clear, better NFL prospect yes, as a running back, but he's a knucklehead for right now. The rule is stupid. Like I, they shouldn't be popped for smoking. Right. But, that the rules on the books, and we all know when we get drug tested, right at the end of the season. So okay. don't smoke. Anyway, go ahead. He was the clear cut, I think, better running back on Oklahoma's roster. And if you're looking at NFL, the NFL prospectus of it. But when it comes to Kennedy Brooks, 
and this is something I mentioned in my what it means for Oklahoma on, on the website. Oh, the Sooners Wire. Sooners Wire. Yeah, yes. dot com. Yeah, you don't have to subscribe to that one. No, it's but it's free, free but, content. But it's just as quality. <laughs> so they, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you could, you know, what you're going to get out of Kennedy Brooks. Exactly. Ramondre Stevenson probably would have been a load to deal with, is going to be a load to deal with once he comes back. But if Ramondre Stevenson, we don't know what an off game really looks like from Ramondre Stevenson. That's we don't, true. We don't know, you know, if he if he gets hit one time hard. But, you know, remember the running back from Auburn that everybody was so worried about in 2016? Uh, I think Payne was his last name. And then Ahmad uh, Thomas. Ahmad just, Thomas stuck him. Just and he didn't it was do over. It did, he didn't do anything the rest of the yeah. game. So, you know, that's that's kind of one of my concerns with Ramondre Stevenson. But, um, you know, Kennedy Brooks and, um, you know, what he guarantees you, he guarantees you, you know, an ability to get a second and short mm-hmm. to get – you know, to get a to get you in a good position to get a first down um, early in downs, and I think whenever you talk about losing him, that's what you're losing. And I, I mentioned it as kind of the safety valve is that you know if you you want to hand it to him 25 times in a game, he's going to go get you a buck 50. And um, I know Oklahoma the holes in Oklahoma's offense, um, the to run through are pretty easy for probably most college running backs, but he does it differently. He's able to not just get into the hole. He's able to make a cut beyond it, yeah, and be able to at least avoid contact at least once, or at least not go down that contact once. So I, I think it, I think this is a, a huge loss. It's not one of those things that's going to be a season definer by any means. I think tackle play and the offensive line play improving is probably way more important than Kennedy, what Kennedy Brooks is going to bring to the table. Because if you know, as you mentioned, the the Pro Football Focus stat about the 3.0 yards per contact or yards before contact per carry, like there was no better indication of how the offensive line was playing the last three years than when Rodney Anderson and Kennedy Brooks were on. Because when they were on, they were able to get, you know, start, they were able to gash people. They, they, you Mm -hmm. know, Kennedy Brooks able to make a guy miss usually after the first cut, you know, Rodney Anderson kind of the same. And then they were off to the races. So I, I, you know, that's the one thing that I'm sort of not certain on, even with Ramondre Stevenson, that you know we could have had to be we would have been able to indicate really quickly just how well the offensive line's going to be playing off that. So I, I kind of mentioned as he's the, he was the safety valve of the offense. Yeah, I think, I think and now that that's gone, like you you have no one to really rely on. You know, Ramondre Stevenson obviously when he comes back, but you know in general just nobody that you can rely on to go get you that you know second and four to get you that second and one. Uh, to where you can take a shot deep on second down in the passing game. So um, that's my biggest concern from this. But I, I think I, I think you nailed it on the head. This isn't the sky isn't falling. Now um, you know there are rumors and reports already out there from um, OU, uh, one of you media member about um, you know maybe more coming. Oklahoma's pra- uh, as we are recording this podcast, and I'm assuming this will go tomorrow morning. Oklahoma practiced tonight, so I'm not sure. If, you know, if I'm sure if there are more opt outs, we will find out after this is recorded. Yeah. But I'm not sold on the fact that those are coming today. They could be coming tomorrow. Yeah, I guess one more thing about Kennedy Brooks. And again, like you're right, he's consistent. Uh, uh, Currently, I think he's unemployed. A currently unemployed assistant coach dubbed Trey Norwood Mr. Consistent. And that's incorrect. Kennedy Brooks is the consistent guy because for the reasons you just said, like he 
doesn't fumble. He doesn't really make a bad play. He doesn't run backwards. He doesn't try to make a guy miss. He knows exactly what type of back he is, and he mm-hmm. plays like it, and there's a lot of good things about that. Mm-hmm. There are some backs who think that they're Barry Sanders, and they try to run all over the place, and it's like, run forward. Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon. That being said, Trey Sermon has a little bit more of a special factor to him, whereas Kennedy Brooks does not, in my opinion, doesn't possess that. And a lot of it is just because you can be a one-cut back, if he just had a little bit more speed, I think he'd have uh, like he'd have that special factor. But I he doesn't Trace, run. It. I think if Sermon would have just put his head down and just start running over people like he did his freshman year. If you combined the both of them, you have an all-American type <laughs> running back. Yeah, like, that's for sure. Because they both have the like they both have each other's flaw, mm-hmm. or whatever I'm whatever I'm trying to say. Like um, Ramondre Stevenson has a little bit of a special factor to him because he's got the the strength. But when he gets into the open field in his few instances when he was able to do that last year, he's able to run away from defenders and pull away from them. Kennedy Brooks just can't do that. Because what is, what is he, like a 4-5 on a good day? Which is still incredibly fast. But, I mean, you get, a, you get up against some talented defenses and some talented back-end defenses, and you make that one cut in the second level, third level is going to catch up to you. Oh, yeah. So And that's always what's what, – what's, been happening with him and that's what the backfield has been missing is just blinding speed mm-hmm. and twitchiness and um again like none of that's none of that's coming either no that's coming it should have already been here but that's that's why another assistant coach was told to uh, go away and another rival school yeah picked him up and jay bulwer but it's called this is the long con is what this is <laughs> <laughs> so you know kennedy kennedy brooks though uh you know I think if you know if there's anything to kind of touch to finish up on this, he is going as of running backs that have gotten 200 carries in their Oklahoma career. He will finish tied atop of the list for yards per carry with Greg Pruitt. That is a um, you know how we all kind of looked at Kenneth Murray's single game tackle record against Army and said that's kind of a fake. It's a fake record. That this is this is also kind of fake. You're saying Kennedy Brooks shouldn't be the guy that has What that. did you just say for like five minutes? He runs through wide open holes because he plays behind a Bill Beatonbow offensive line, which one of one of the offensive lines won the offensive line unit of the year award. Yeah. So he's got the ability to be an all conference back. So there is credit given to him, but so you what about give, what about Landry Jones's NCAA stat? Yeah, I, I don't I think they're silly too. He played for four <laughs> years. He never got hurt, which that's, I mean, that's, I don't want him to get hurt, but he played 12, 13 games a year for four years. I wrote years, a column on this. Was not good enough to get drafted early, so he came back for his I senior bumped year. I today. Yeah, and he, yeah, you did bump it. <laughs> like, that was, um, it's like orange power. It's a, it's a oxymoron. You're like, man, I can't bump this as you bump it. Yes. When the beat, when the beat drops, Keegan's going to bump it. No, no you're right. You're right. No, Kennedy Brooks has, I think, is rightfully amongst where he is at, like in running back since 2000. And then people consider him, you know, tier two, tier three. But you know, I, I, I you, you still have to be really damn good to put up those stats. We really regardless. need, we really need Kamiar and Steven from Crimson and Cream Machine on here to ask the question that everybody's thinking right now, listening to this podcast. Well, tier two, tier three. What are you talking about? Is he just better than Brennan Clay? Like Brennan Clay is the he is like the benchmark. Now where does he lo- like Kennedy Brooks versus Brennan Clay? Who you got and why? Brennan Clay is an averaging seven and a half per carry. I don't care what anybody says. If Brennan Clay's uh, business wants to sponsor this podcast, Keon. <laughs> well, wait, straight up. If if he was like, hey, can my product 
sponsor your podcast, what would you say? I'd say yes. Why? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what a pyramid scheme is? Yeah, I absolutely do. <laughs> um, now, Kennedy Brooks, like, amongst the ranks, like, he is in that Brennan Clay tier, but he's at the top of it. He, yeah, he's a higher-end Brennan Clay. He, Brennan Clay... Would also run hard of the hole. Brennan Clay's last... Like last few games of 2012, 2013, and then the last few games mm-hmm. of 2013, because yeah. he was really good in that Bedlam comeback in 2012, um, and obviously had the game-winning run. But um, <sighs> and then at the tail end of 2013, yeah, exactly the <laughs> the uh, you know he was he he was better than better than most, right? better than most. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, by the way, if the season gets canceled, you and I are just going to read Bob Stoops's book aloud and comment on it for the podcast i may i may miss that podcast and just let you do it no 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 no, no. I, I want you to read it and i will comment <laughs> on it yeah. like, all right slow down you lost the fire and then, uh, and then he coached good. for 16 more good. years so no nah, it this is a uh interesting times you want to talk schedule what do you want to talk next you want to talk schedule do you want to talk let's let's get conference this, decision let's get general. one little quick thing out of the way that some OU fans are probably interested in grant calcaterra announced that he's coming back to football um he can do whatever he wants how can i put this without being rude he's not he's in he's already, he's leaving he's entering the transfer I, no, 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 no. I i just it, this isn't this is not an athlete thing this is just a people thing like every i feel like everybody has a cousin or a friend close friend family member or something that will make a big pageantry laden announcement that they're going to do this and you they go all in on it and they get congratulated by their family and friends and it's like a big deal right. yeah I and then this. three minutes later they realize oh that's hard i'm just gonna go do something else and it's just like all right, well, now the next time you want to do something, I'm probably not going to be as, like, supportive. Like, I'll support, but... Yeah. And and I know Calcaterra's whole deal was medical, and I hope that some doctors have convinced him that, no, you can still play football and be safe because I don't want him to play football and die. I don't want him to play football and have long-term effects or even have effects... I hate saying this because I just said the word effect. Affect him fairly early on in his life so i hope that this has been i'm sure it's been medically cleared i don't care that he's not coming back to ou if he wants to play football that's fine but i'm just like ah this i was already in the mind of you're doing this for your health and i'm 100 percent for that and now i'm just like okay yeah don't kill yourself that no i mean that's what we're talking about yeah he had what 10 concussions he had quite a few that's for sure. I mean, if anything, if anything, Kyler Murray owes him. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> was Kyler like, Murray owes owes him a little bit of that NFL check. I game. was watching uh, KFOR this morning. Uh, Dylan Buckingham. They recorded his from whatever. <laughs> they were showing Grant, Grant Calcaterra highlights, and they were all from Kyler Murray, and he just got destroyed that that night in Lubbock. Oh my God, Kyler just Kyler just I guess did not like him. I think I just don't, and Kyler wasn't comfortable throwing over the middle of the field everything was up cover two so uh, he's gonna go somewhere like uh arizona state no doesn't he wouldn't he he, don't you think he'd want to go to one of the three conferences that are playing or has he announced that he wants to stay good point yeah because obviously my question is is so he was at oklahoma 
He was a red. He came to Oklahoma in 2017, so 17, 18, 19. That's three. 2020 before his NCAA clock started in 27. Well, he already graduated too, so yeah. So he yeah. Could, he could grad transfer and play. Now I I wonder if he could he would be a part of this waiver eligibility that they're trying to legislate where everybody gets a free year. Which by the way I think. I'm actually not a huge fan of that. I'm not a huge fan of it either, but I mean, I, mean, I don't like I the NCAA it. in the first place. So this, I mean, this is coming from the athletic director. So I, I, I just don't. Don't think you, the if, waivers from the NCAA. Right, but the West Virginia AD is pushing, and there's a bunch of momentum behind them pushing oh. legislation <clears throat> that even if you have a fall sports this year, that everybody gets free eligibility. Um, so I wonder if just, but that's beside the point. If Grant Calcaterra is able to fall under that umbrella and get a year back, then he would still have two years to play. Yep. But his clock started in 2018, which means he'd have to be finished by 2021. Yeah. He is last year. You have five years to play four. Um, so his last year would be next year, but, um, no good for him. If he can get it. I mean, basically I'm assuming what, your hope is, is that you can get picked up on an NFL practice squad and make 450000 or whatever it is Yeah. Um, doing that because I'm sure that's a little more luxurious than being a firefighter. Shout out to all the fire firemen out there and firefighters yeah, out there. Yeah, like I'll, I'll be interested whenever he does choose his school and gets like some media availability. I'll be interested to see like what the next part of the story is, like what – like what doctors came to you and said like, no, you can play football. Or when did you decide? I just didn't want to go into firefighting. I wanted to keep playing football and I get it. Like I'm sure every athlete that even is forced to retire from the sport that they love playing. I'm sure once that time of the year rolls around, they still get that itch that, no, I want to play football. So I'm not dogging on him by any means. I'm just saying like, I'm just a little cautious on this one. I I think everybody should be. I mean, cause like you said, I, I mean, jokingly, but I mean, there is a chance that, you know, he could get, like, knocked out, knocked out, and be knocked out, knocked out. Yeah. And that's has to be a concern. I mean, that's the concern for a lot of football players. But best of luck to him. Really good dude to work with um, in terms of media. And I do have – I did run into – I'm not going to tell the story, but I did run into Grant on uh, Campus Corner one night. That was amazing. Was this recently, Keegan? No. No. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. I've been out – uh, just to get that clear out the board, I think I've said on this podcast, I've been out one time. Oh, fair enough. And that was one time too many, but I went out one time. No, um, yeah, it's it's going to be weird because he plays tight end. So he's when you play tight end, you're going to get hit a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm just cautious as all. So good luck to you, Grant Calcutta. 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 I wish that there would be some I, – I already wish that there was – something in that announcement that he was like, I'm going to stay close to home because like, I don't know if he wants to, cause you know, taking a year is off it? is probably better for him anyway. Mm-hmm. But, um, imagine if he, imagine if he goes to Clemson or imagine if he goes to who else like Alabama. I mean, he won't go to one of those schools, but well, why not? I mean, none of those schools would pick him up. Why not? I don't, I don't think he's good enough. Really? They wouldn't take a tight end from OU that is fairly athletic and pretty talented? I mean, I thought Grant was really, really good. I just don't think he's better than what those schools probably have. I mean, I was thinking more of an Oregon or an Arizona State, you know, schools that are kind of on the rise and um, that are looking for more talent. But I don't – 
I don't think, you know, personally, I don't think he would have started. I, the, I think Jalen Conyers, you know, I mentioned him earlier, the question that I asked Lincoln, but I think he would, he's probably better than Grant Calcaterra is or would be to Oklahoma's offense. I'm I'm just saying from the standpoint of, well, the Pac-12's not playing, the Big Ten's not playing, so he's going to go to – if he wants to play now, he'll go to one of three conferences. And if he goes to a good school, if the season is able to Florida be finished, State. then OU might stand a chance to play him again. So that'll uh, be kind of weird and awkward. But Florida, I mean, I would assume Florida State's probably looking for talent. They, they need all the help they can get. Florida State sucks. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And then uh, – you know, Texas Tech would probably be another one. I mean, they kind of run an offense like that. Kansas State, um, Kansas State, he'd have to block a lot more. But no, I don't. And I mean, Iowa State, Iowa State, obviously with Charlie Kolar and those guys. But no, I don't. I don't. I just don't think he's as talented as an Austin Stogner or a, even at this point a Jalen Conyers. I think he's going to be a freaking stud maybe all american kind of player it's a shame we won't be able to watch him play this fall but in on to that let's talk about the schedule so the big 12 announced their schedule uh, at some point this past week tuesday or wednesday big scoop eddie radosovich yeah good job shout out franchise's own mr eddie radosovich i is every team but baylor have every team at baylor has a non-conference they game. do now yeah okay so ou obviously missouri state that game has been written in blood Worried about on it. some like in some like the like the devil's book where you sell your soul because that game is still on. Um, if the world ended, it would still be played apparently, <laughs> and Missouri State will get their check. So you got that on September twelfth. You got a bye week. Cool. Kansas State, Iowa State on the road, and then Texas in the Cotton Bowl. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm really glad the Missouri State game is still going on because when the schedule was released, all that they showed was the conference schedule and i'm thinking they're playing kansas state in norman and then on the road against iowa state in a pretty good def defense and you know mainly when you talk about iowa state it's their defensive staff is what you're mm -hmm. kind of thinking of and then texas yeah well, i think the world of spencer rattler even though he hasn't really played a meaningful down of football at ou yet he's not going to be playing in front of ninety thousand people every week so there's not going to be like a lot of nerves there's not going to be a full stadium in the Cotton Bowl, so that won't be that much of a factor would as, you, as would, it is. Real, real pivot here, cut you off. Would you be more nervous playing in an empty stadium or with the stadium full of people? Full of people. I feel like in my just thinking about it, that if I played and it was just on national television, there would just be so many more eyes. I don't know. I eh, I don't know. I've been on TV before. I'm on the radio. and Oh, when, flex. Well, no. When you're in an empty room talking to one person with just a microphone in you, like – Mainly what I do is I'm just like, no one's listening to this shit anyway. So, <laughs> you know, if I was on TV, I was like, no one's going to watch this shit anyway. So, you know, you can just be yourself. But when you're in a on a football field with 90,000 people and then in the Cotton Bowl, 45,000 people are rooting against you. 45,000 people are rooting for you to do well. You do one wrong play. You make one wrong play. You've got a bunch of groans and a bunch of cheers, and that could potentially snowball. It snowballed with Kyler Murray. In that, it, it did. In yeah. that uh, end of that first half, beginning of the second half. That game in Ames, man. I mean, I I don't I think Iowa State's being a little overhyped. I know they're returning a bunch of people. Offensive line, defensive line, made, it's still a question mark. On paper, they have like the only returning quarterback that isn't Sam Ellinger or Spencer Sanders that we've seen that has some talent. Kansas State's guy is. I know he looked great against OU, but a lot of people look he great against OU. Yeah, uh, well, he didn't look great. And not a lot of quarterbacks did. So no. credit Skylar Thompson uh, for that last year. But he did kind of he 
played like an NFL quarterback for one game, Yikes. and everything came together for Kansas State for one game. Um, they were pretty good last year. But that kind of beside the point, Kansas State early, um, you know, they've got a lot to figure out on the offensive line. Defense should still be pretty good. Um, should be a really good test for Spencer Rattler. And this is my worry, Brady, is we've seen what happens when a quarterback presses against Iowa State's defense that is forcing you to play in front of them. Baker Mayfield in 2017, and I know Trey Sermon and C.D. Lamb got hurt. Was it Trey Sermon that got hurt? Yes, that's where he tore his ACL. Uh, against Iowa, no, that was UCLA. I'm in 28 L's in UCLA, and or the last time Iowa State was in Norman was the time before this past year against Jalen was the year that they beat OU. Yeah, in 27, that, I was talking 2017 when Baker. Uh, it, that's regardless of the point, but um, you know it. I, I we've seen what can happen when a Iowa State defense is going against a quarterback that presses, that tries to force stuff down the field that's not there, and you uh, and it's hard to do that. And it that would be that is an ultimate worry that that is the second game you're going on the road, you're not playing in front of a hostile crowd, and let me tell you, Ames Iowa can get rowdy. No, they have probably the most consistent traveling fan base in the Big 12 that isn't OU or Texas. Just because yeah. those schools are the biggest ones, obviously. Yeah. They're the Blue Bloods. Iowa State always surprises me how many fans they bring to Norman. They're a very passionate fan base in their own right. So, yeah, it's 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 a test. But I think I may have told you this. The Big 12 has thoroughly angered me over the last – like since it's gone down to 10 teams. Because I feel like whoever has the best defensive staff – OU plays that team the week before Texas. Does that mean OU is going to lose Iowa State? No. But Iowa State's good enough that they'll find something, put it on film, and if we're able to play Texas, Texas will then have all that to look at. Mm -hmm. Whatever Spencer Rattler struggles with on the field, diagnosing defenses, you will probably see it. Will Iowa State be able to exploit it? No. Because the other team back 10 years ago, where this kind of applies, what I'm talking about, was TCU. I think OU played TCU before the week before Texas two or three times. And then that always played into OU's a heavy favorite, and then all of a sudden it's a dogfight. It's like some of it was because poor, poor motivation. Some of it was Texas has athletes at the end of the day. And the other, other part of it was because OU played the best defensive team and the staff in the conference, and there's some stuff on film. And I think that this is another factor here. I was kind of upset, but I'm like, I don't think OU's going to lose to Iowa State, but you could it could rear its ugly head against Texas the following week. I think if there is one positive coming out of that game with how good Iowa State's offense is supposed to be, and I, I know they have offensive line question marks, I don't believe they're returning a bunch of people, is that we could learn quickly if Oklahoma can win a shootout. Yep. And... um. That's not me downing what Oklahoma's defense is going to be like in 2020, but it is one of those things that if it does turn to shootout and Oklahoma can show that they can win that, that should give them a lot of confidence heading in that Texas game, which should be a shootout. And I know you're going to go, Keegan, don't start doing this again, but they're, I mean, Texas is going to be good. Like No, Texas is going to be good. Yeah, Texas is going to be good. They've got the offensive line still a question mark, and I, I guess we can kind of go into that game. That offensive line and defensive line for Texas is going to be a question mark until they can start recruiting better. Yep. They land the number one quarterback in the country, and this is whole hoopla. But he won't be there for like four years. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> they land the number one quarterback in the country, but it's like we just completely forget that Texas has had one offensive lineman. They're going to have two after Sam Cosby goes in the first round this year. 
Texas is going to have two offensive linemen drafted in 12 years. 12 years. So this in is, an offensive conference. And this, so that until they get that figured out, I, I think Oklahoma is going to be able to have a heyday. Now the problem is, is that you have you don't have Ronnie Perkins, who caused a lot of havoc last year, and it's probably the reason why Neville Gallimore and Jalen Redman, for that matter. Yeah, speaks. we didn't, we didn't even mention Jalen Redman <laughs> as a DUI. I wouldn't be shocked if he is suspended for Missouri State because that, he, that's it. It seems to happen. You know, off-season trouble, you get suspended for the first game. It's normal. Um, and I guess Lincoln Riley didn't have any more further information about pro-rated we, suspensions. We, uh, for Perkins and those guys? Yeah. No more. Yeah, I didn't have, another, didn't have a comment. Cool. And they'll so failure on us. Maybe that was a question I should have asked was about Jalen Redmond. Well, the next time you do talk to Lincoln. Yeah, that's that has to be asked. That's for sure. That So, I think without Ronnie Perkins, though, in that Texas game, it's going to be – one of those things that Oklahoma, as I said before, that if they get into a shootout with Iowa State the week before, that's going to be um, – it may bode well for them. And I think, you know, this may be a year in this conference when you talk about the offenses now, good God, did Oklahoma State, my predictions for them, have they changed? But they're still going to be able to score. Everybody in this conference is going to be able to score this year besides maybe TCU and Kansas State. Baylor? Baylor probably has – I mean – if Brewer in the the other quarterback was pretty good behind him and Zebo whatever his yeah. name was yeah and uh, you know I was very impressed with him I know it's in limited action and Georgia good sorry you had to go up against that but the you know the the fact of the matter is is that it's going to be a shootout I think it's time for everybody to start embracing that that that's you're going to have to win games this year in the Big Twelve it's a shootout and that doesn't mean the defenses are going to be bad. I just think the offenses have a chance to be that good. No, and the thing with the OU's defense is always going to be what Alex Grinch has been stressing is just create turnovers. And maybe another year in the system, maybe some guys have made leaps athletically because I think that's been, you know, you can be a great athlete in the secondary but be a bad football player. If they've, if some players have made athletic leaps to the point where they can just simply catch the damn ball when it's thrown directly to them, cool. That'll help half the battle. If you just give Spencer Rattler, if he's going to be as good as we think he's going to be, if you give him an extra opportunity or two, that's at least 10 more points on the scoreboard, you know, if drive stall. But um, I think it's a good point just because I think people were taken aback from, well, I mean, if you just focused on OU last year, it's like, wow, their defense certainly made strides. And they did because a lot of it was just the mojo, the effort was all – it was a night and day difference from the previous regime. But they were helped out along – by the fact that the Big 12 lost a ton of quarterback talent from the year prior, and what they were playing were a bunch of guys that just did not have the arms to really exploit OU's defensive weaknesses, which were exploited in the Peach Bowl, even though they would have been exploited otherwise, but not having key players certainly hurt their cause. But that's not going to be probably, at least on paper, that's not going to be the case going into Mm -hmm. this season. For sure. And at the same point, too, now that you mention it, Man, if Oklahoma's defense wasn't as good last year, does Jalen Hurts get drafted in the second round? No. OU probably loses. They lose to Iowa State. They lose. They they lose either Iowa State or TCU. That both definitely w- lose to Baylor. Definitely lose to Baylor. So they don't even probably go to the Big Twelve Championship. End up in the Russell Athletic Bowl or whatever. They definitely lose to Texas. They absolutely would have lost to Texas. Yeah. That's for yeah for sure. And I want to go back to that Iowa State game. And now it's kind of a good idea for a post, you know, if we're still getting up and geared and ready for a season. 
Lincoln did do something different against Iowa State last year. They ran a bunch of guard tackle counters, um, H-back counters against Iowa State in 2017 and 2018. Didn't have a ton of success with it. They ran a bunch of zone running schemes last year, and Kennedy Brooks torched them for like – I know he had that long 60-yard run, but he still, besides that, I think had 14 carries for like 90-plus yards. And Kennedy's not really a back that I would think of as a, a successful zone back. He's no. T- he runs too – he's like Adrian Pe- – when Adrian Peterson would run out of the zone because Chuck Long wanted to run out of the zone in 2005, AD's good enough to make it work. <laughs> yeah. He's not a zone running no. back. You line him up in the I formation, just tell him to run downhill. Which is which is, says something about Oklahoma State and their defense because Oklahoma State was running basically the same version of Iowa State's defense last for the much, much of last year. Yep. And Oklahoma just countered – just countered guard tackle countered them to death. So there's something within Iowa State's scheme that Oklahoma was able to exploit last year, and they did it. So maybe there is something there that I and like I said, this is an idea for a post to go back and look. And I know I tried to um, start that this off season. Obviously, a tumultuous off season for that to happen. So they, uh, you know, we we we're in a position here that. That Iowa State game, that Texas game, um, it's probably season definers for Oklahoma. Is it too early to say that? I mean, I don't, I don't know if we know enough about Texas yet and how good they really are going to be, because I do. I am very skeptical of that defense outside of Caden Stearns and um, Joseph Osai and a couple other guys. So I don't know if it's too early, but I mean that. I in the rest of the schedule, if you want to read it out, I they just. I don't think anything after that poses as much of a risk, maybe, as much as those two games do. No, I mean, Iowa State's going to be an incredible telltale sign for this team moving forward just because of the respect I have for Matt Campbell and his staff. And I think, like, that difference that you were talking about between Iowa State and Oklahoma State, you could debate, like, when you go down the rosters, who has more talent on defense between the two schools last season. But I think the the, the thing that moves – it over to Iowa State's favor is uh, the coaching staff on the defensive side is just, I think, far superior than what Oklahoma State has. Um, it's just going to be interesting to me just because, like, if we're able to get to Texas, and this is the stat that always pops up, you know, first-year starter in the Cotton Bowl is, like, two and – or now three because Jalen Hurts won last year. He was a first-year starter in the Cotton Bowl. Um, they're, like, three and 25 in the last – 28 29 years or something like that it's bad it's certainly a game that that makes sense for that because of all the factors we kind of talked about earlier split down the middle gigantic atmosphere feels like a bowl game it feels like much bigger than just a rivalry game that's not going to be a factor it's going to feel more like a an environment that spencer rattler could probably thrive in and that's just stand back there let the ball fly you don't have a lot of distractions either rooting for you or rooting against you so that certainly makes me feel better about 25%. It. You see that today? Yeah, 25%. And that's probably going to drop. If, I think before the season is canceled, I think what would happen is they just cancel having fans in the stands first. That would be like the first measure of, all right, well, if it gets worse, then we're just going to cancel the season. Absolutely. But 25% in the Cotton Bowl I don't think is going to be noisy enough, rau- raucous enough, loud enough for it to be that much of a factor. It's going to be interesting to me, like, from a home game presentation standpoint, where all these fans are sitting. Because they're obviously going to be sitting away from each other. Driveway to driveway away. 
is how Joe Castiglione. Well, are they going to be my my? What I mean by that is, are they going to be sitting in camera shot? Because if you're watching these games, that's why the NBA's bubble has kind of worked well from an aesthetic standpoint. Is they've bowled in, they've blocked out all that empty gym space. So it looks like they're basically playing on a stage. So there's not a lot that you're missing out right. aesthetically. If I'm if I'm watching in the OU Missouri State game on a three thousand dollar pay per view, and there's nobody sitting in in like in eyesight in those level of the stands, it's gonna look weird. It will look weird. Cot- the Cotton Bowl not being filled up for an OU Texas game, I I'm having nightmares about that. That is. All right, outside of New Mexico and Red River and the sunsets that I clearly posted a lot about, <laughs> that setting at OU Texas is my clear favor, clear number one, almost in everything that I've done outside of the sunsets. Oh yeah, that thing is going. I hate that I'm going to have to witness that. Now I may not because that press box is so small that there. I don't. I bet there's no way. Um, unless we get to sit in the stands, which I haven't heard anything about that. but Yeah, so the Big 12 already said that there's going to be nobody shooting from the sidelines for highlight I footage. I saw that. Did that. That wasn't an official release, but I'm not I'm not discounting Nate Fakin, but Well, I, I, I would assume that the Big 12 has like, contacted like n- local news outlets, like, all right, here's the plan as of right now. Right. So. No, for sure. No, it'll be weird. Um, but what's what, what are we looking at after that? Got TCU in Fort Worth. Like the interesting thing about this bye week, is, right? Uh, bye week yes, there's a bye week after Texas. OU doesn't have a home game at all in the month of October. They're on the road at Ames, Dallas in the Cotton Bowl, where they're technically the home team because they're going to wear crimson. Then Fort Worth, and then Lubbock on the 31st on Halloween. So I mean, OU fans like they're probably already mentally ready that they're not going to see their team in they got, person. They got away with the. Halloween Lubbock game. Weird, man. Texas Tech's not weird, though. That was Mike Leach, and he's gone. Um, after that, we've got Kansas and Norman. Bedlam and Norman. By week before Bedlam. Oh, yeah. That's going – that they got lucky with that. OU West Virginia and Morgantown. I don't know how that game's going to work. If we're able to get there – and everything has worked, but there's been some minor spikes here and there, and there's always been like this. Because I'm going to assume, if we get to West Virginia, there's always going to be this this air of, oh, my God, it's going to get canceled tomorrow, and then we just keep going and we keep going. And if we get to the point where it's West Virginia week, I'm like, I don't want the football team flying all the way over that part of the country. How long would a bus ride be? Because they have to fly into Pittsburgh and then ride a bus into Morgantown, right? I think they fly into straight into Morgantown, an area near Morgantown. Because I know the basketball team has to Pittsburgh and then bus down. Because yeah. remember there was that one game where they were yeah two or three hours late, uh-huh. and then they lost in overtime. It's like of course they did. If we can get to the if OU Texas happens, and Baylor we get the, to that Baylor bye, and Norman at the end of the year, and we get to that bye week, and then the TCU game is played, I'll have confidence we can get. We we will get through the rest. Oh of the yeah, season. that's half half the damn schedule. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think if we can get through the Texas game and the bye week, then we get through the rest of that schedule. Um, no, the rest of the schedule kind of plays in Oklahoma's favor a little bit because the only really remaining games that you're worried about are at TCU, Bedlam, at West Virginia, and um, that's it, right? I mean, are you concerned about 
TC, uh, Baylor at home. I'm not. I'm not concerned. Kansas, it, I'm not concerned about TCU mainly because when people say TCU on the road, I'm like, I don't care. It's in Fort Worth. Yeah. It's not. It's not a hostile environment. Have you been in that stadium, by the way? It's pretty. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a I very nice. It. It's a nice place, but it's not a hostile crowd. No. And it's da- they pump o- in a bunch of crowd noise. OU plays in Dallas every year. Like it's a second home to OU, so and it's not that far of a drive. So I'm just like, just go down there, and take care of business. OU's the better team. Uh, Texas Tech, the same thing. Like I just said, like that was Mike Leach. Cliff Kingsbury is kind of like Mike Leach in that he's a disciple, but this is a different brand of Texas Tech. I mean, road games are just hard just because they're on the road, but it's I don't look at that as like, oh, damn, tech on the road. Mm-hmm. Like I looked at that with A&M and College Station because that is a raucous environment, even though they haven't won a game of note at home since Reggie McNeil beat OU in 2002. So screw them. Uh, West Virginia, they haven't beaten OU in, since 2007. They're going to be pretty good this year. I've heard that, like except for last year, three or four times in the last six seasons. And OU goes up there and kicks their ass. Yeah, Dana's not the head coach anymore, though. Cool. Is it Neil Brown? I I, I like Neil Brown a lot. But yeah, because he kissed y'all's ass, right? Oh, my gosh. Well, come on now. He was right. He's right. But why do you like Neil Brown? Like, I, I want to get to this. Why do you like him? I, I like the way uh, it's just in terms of it's clear that he coaches to his players. Mm-hmm. I think that is a, a major issue in college football that, you know, peop, they you know coaches try to fit square pegs in around holes. Last year, they clearly kind of went away from his norm that he had at Troy and did some things differently, especially defensively. And the grad transfer, the quarterback they have coming in. And, you know, that I think he they did all the they had coming in. He redshirted him all year and then played him the last three to four games to get him prepped for this upcoming year. He was like, you see what he's doing out there, that Oscar kid? Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I think they've got a chance to be pretty good. Um, obviously, losing their defensive coordinator over some racial issues is never not a good thing. Yeah, uh, especially this close to the season. Absolutely. It, but, no, I don't – that TCU game, the only reason why, Brady, that I think that should concern people is that they have two NFL safeties and – Safety play is going to dictate a lot of what Oklahoma is able to do offensively with a quarterback that's not comfortable yet in the system. He's a quarterback that gave OU trouble, though, last year. Oh, Max Duggan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I was talking about Spencer. Oh. Spencer, Spencer not being comfortable in the system and then having good safety play on the back end of a secondary. I don't think that necessarily bodes well for mm-hmm. Oklahoma's offense. And then you brought up Max Duggan. I know I've made the comparison to what it, he reminds me, not in terms of pure body type and pure play style, but it reminds me a lot of Trevor Knight. God, he looks so good on one throw, and then, oh, my goodness, the next one. Doesn't seem like he can read anything. Doesn't know where pressure is coming from. I know he was a freshman, but, um, you know, those are qualities that, you know, some young guys, and Sam Ellinger even showed confidence in being able to do those things yeah. as a freshman. Um, so that, that does concern me about TCU's offense. And then, you know, I kind of want to, you know, getting a bye week before Bedlam, God, do you want to go into Oklahoma State? They have fallen off. And when you lose three offensive linemen, two of them starters. It's not good. Not as school like Oklahoma State. For That's for sure. Yeah, They're, especially when their best player is a running back. Yeah, And I know I've said this to you on this podcast before, Keegan. I, I do not think that Chuba Hubbard is overrated by any means. I think he's fantastic. But every time I sit down and watch him, 
he's running through wide open holes and then outrunning people. Mm-hmm. And if you're losing depth and starters right now on the offensive line, I hope your replacements are just as good because not. there's not going to be those wide open holes. And we saw in Bedlam, he got he barely got over 100 yards, and most of it was off of like one 40 yard rush at the end of the game. Have you heard why these guys got kicked off? Oh, uh, I I know that Bray kid. Or was it Bray who? Bryce Bray and or, Jacob Farrell. Yeah, he's trying to get kids to lick doorknobs because he he <laughs> thinks that it's uh, a hoax. Is he from Bixby? Shout yeah. out to Bixby by the way, yeah. but that's that sounded like a pretty Bixby thing to do. Yeah, uh, they yeah they uh, not good. Here, idiot, go to UAB. <laughs> North Texas. Go to, yeah, just go there. You can lick all the doorknobs you want. I mean, I heard he was trying. He. Was very interested in Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma's taking that. But yikes! Yeah, I don't think he's taking that. So, no, they they've fallen off. Um, not concerned at all about that game. If it's a shootout, that's when Oklahoma can win. But at this point, Oklahoma's offensive line, um, even with the question marks that they are, way or head, yeah. head and shoulders better. Yeah, because by TCU, because historically after the Texas game, OU's rushing attack is able to pick it up. By TCU, the offensive line questions are answered more than likely. And then the running back is solved. Like at least the rotation. Oh, he's going to probably find a guy that they can depend on. Well, hopefully by the Texas game, but definitely by TCU. So all those problems, by the time they get to Bedlam third, last game of the year, I don't think it's going to be a problem. And if it's basically just a battle between like which running attack can have more success, I'm going to err on the side of Bill Beatonbow, those skill guys, Spencer, Spencer Rattler over OSU, who's lost all this depth already and who's running back whenever he's had to actually rush against talented defensive lines or just talented defensive players that key to stop him that's when he has trouble because he doesn't have exactly the power that you would want out of a back as good as he is he's a speed guy in my opinion yeah it they are they're gonna have their issues uh especially whenever it comes to protecting spencer sanders that is, you know, first and foremost uh, going to be the most important for them because obviously we saw what happened in that Texas game. I mean, he looked phenomenal, but he was even running for his life even in that game at times, yeah. it, with, despite the fact that Tevin Jenkins put on the biggest performance of the year and then just busted the rest of the year at right tackle. Um, so uh, they're going to have their problems. Uh, but, no, I mean, this is – a. I still think Oklahoma should be the favorite. I guess that's where I'm, my head's at right now. Yeah, I mean, they, they basically are by default. There are so many questions with every single team, mm-hmm. not not to mention just the questions of the concept of a completed season. Um, and did you have any more points on the schedule? Because I did want to ask you one more question before we got out of here. Uh, I mean, it's just like I, I want to say again, uh, or actually real quick. In 2018, they had a bye week before that TCU game, right? They lost to Texas bye week TCU. Yeah. And they just blew the doors off of them offensively. Yeah, coming off a of bye week and getting Oklahoma after the Texas game, not not good for the opponent. Um, and I know Bob Stoops is before and after Texas record. He had only lost like one game. So, yeah. Um, and I think that's trickled over into Lincoln. So, no, I it's just – it's very interesting, I think, just – you know, get get to that TC, get through the bye week, get to the TCU game, and we probably get through the rest of this year, and then uh, get through the rest of the season, and then probably talking about a playoff of teams from non the Big Twelve ACC and or non Big Ten and Pac twelve. Actually, I'm gonna have two questions for you. 
Texas's schedule, they got UTEP on the road against Texas Tech, uh, at home against TCU, and then OU. I'm going to assume OU, or Texas is going to be 3-0 heading into that game. 3-0? Yeah. If Texas loses to Oklahoma, is Tom Herman officially on the hot seat or even fired? And if they let, let's say they lose, let's say they lose thirty-eight to seventeen, like 30, if, like in a non-competitive game. Even if they lose in the way they lost last year, they got manhandled. They got manhandled, but Tom Irwin can still point to the scoreboard and go, "We were one score down, and we were driving at the end of the game." Yeah. Even though anyone watching half of that game would say, "Yeah, Texas got their ass kicked." Right. Um. I think I said this before. I don't think. Tom would have been on the hot seat unless he lost to LSU and Oklahoma. And I especially don't think he's going to be on the hot seat now because of the schedule adjustment. And this sounds, you're going to go Keegan stop, but landing the number one player in the 2022 class probably helps a lot. With no, his, it helps with his, uh, and, and the fact standing that, and the fact that Texas desperately wants him to be the guy because they keep moving the goalposts. Mm-hmm. Charlie strong was there for like five minutes and had one bad quarter in like the, his third game, like nope, on the hot seat. And I think we can read between the lines as to why that was probably the case, and why it's not the case with old Tom Herman. But I've just seen really nothing. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm a Texas fan, I'm like, your offense that worked at Ohio State has to have a certain type of quarterback. I think it has to have a certain type of running back and a certain type of running back. Mm-hmm. Nothing gives me the optimism that that's going to be the case. And then also, like you said, there's no offensive line. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. They don't have them. They don't have the. They have the running back now. Bijan Robinson is going to be a. He's good. Superstar. But if you don't have a guys that can block for him, you don't have guys that are going to get him open creases. Then teams like Oklahoma that are violently attacking the football and swarming to the football now are going to have a lot of success slowing him down. They are, you know, do need to mention. Mike Yurcich is now Texas. They, I can tell you that their offense looks a lot different uh, f- from people I've talked to. Their offense does look a lot different than what it did before. And, you know, it's truly more of what we saw with Oklahoma State and Mason Rudolph. So, um, you know, I, they're just – it's an interesting program. They have a lot of momentum every year. They, you know, they – don't achieve those goals and people kind of point and I'm not saying Tom Herman's a scapegoat. He's the, as fa- as at fault as this as anybody, you know, you have four years, right? This is year four with, Tom, with Herman, uh, 2018, 20, no, year three. And they, this was the first recruiting class on the offensive line for them. That shows any promise like that. That doesn't, that's not year three as the head coach at a university. I mean, especially at Texas. Yeah. They, Oklahoma, can, they can suck and get a top 10 recruiting class the following mm-hmm. season. Oklahoma, you do – I know there's a lot of people that point to this. Oklahoma did re- not recruit that well when Lincoln was first year, especially on the offensive line. And when you look at the 2017 offensive line, they had a former three-star that got snubbed by Tennessee, a junior college transfer that had no stars, I don't think, Ben Powers did, a former walk-on in Eric Wren. And then you had Drew Samia and Bobby Evans. But, I mean, the proof is there that y- y- it's almost as coaching, but – you know, you look at what Oklahoma's doing on the offensive line now. I mean, your miss rate in terms of development is a lot lower whenever you recruit better players. And Texas, yeah. this is the first recruiting class, Logan Parr and Jake Majors and a couple other guys that show, you know, that they have promise, that they can do good things down there. And I, I, 
do trust Herb Hand, and I think he's an incredible offensive line coach, especially with what he did at Auburn in that running game. Um, but you got to get the guys. you got to get the dudes in there. The Jimmys and Joes matter way more, and Texas isn't at a point right now to where they can actually contend for a national championship, and I, and I don't think even a playoff. I mean, you got to prove you got to prove that in 2019, when you get Oklahoma at its worst in the next three to four years, that you got to be able to that you got to be able to get over that hump, and they didn't, and then they struggled against TCU and struggled against Kansas at home and struggled against Oklahoma State at home, and they, you know, they're just. I'm not going to say it's not la- it's not laughable, but it's it's just gotten to a point to where the the stuff is getting old. I mean, yeah. it, it just – you can't only – and I was at fault hey, – as any person that knows, I was at fault for it last offseason as anybody. I thought they had a chance to be unbelievable. And obviously, Sam Ellinger regressed to the mean, and the defense sputtered. I mean, they were they were as bad last year on defense as Oklahoma was in 2018, and that's why uh, they got rid of Todd Orlando, although I think he was the scapegoat, but – Oh, yeah, because we all know, like, when the team isn't doing well, the head coach should just fire all the assistants and blame all of them. I know, like, Texas, to me, they're in the Texas A&M stage where uh, barely losing to LSU is applauded. And, like, that that's the case. Like, they hung their hat on that. Yeah. Especially at the end of the year in the Peach Bowl when OU gets thrashed by LSU. It's like, oh, oh we're damn near beat them in Austin at the beginning of the year. It's like, well, football season's a long, long time. And y'all lost to last so that I, LSU team last year is one of the few teams that got exponentially better every week too. Exactly, they were so much different in week fifteen than they were in week thirteen. Yeah, and Joe Burrow was different. I mean, that guy was on a mission. Yeah, and I I don't. By I the don't, way, Joe Burrow jersey is happening. Really, really, he'll be the first jersey I get. <sighs> Big Joe Burrow here. Yeah. I don't know if that's what we're gonna call it, but I. I I, we should end there, but I did want to ask you. I'm going to put a truth serum in you, and we're going to finish the podcast this way. Do you think we're going to have a situation where cases spike, and we're just talking about OU, cases spike, and the university decides students leave, athletes stay? I don't know if they can. Or a portion, like underclassmen. I don't, I don't know if they can actually. Because think of Headington Hall, for example. It has to be 51% students to 49 percent i feel like that rule just goes out the fucking window this year i mean can't i mean i think that's like an ncaa or i i I think that rule should just go out the fucking window i mean i agree with you but this year like they're but the ncaa is also now trying to pressure all these other conferences into canceling but that's another they need to figure out if Ramondre stevenson is suspended for three or six games i need to know (laughs) no um Um, to your question though yes uh but I'm not sure because of the situation, like I said. I just don't know if they can do that right now. And I'm sure that's something that they're, each school is working through. But it's August 16th. Oklahoma's supposed to kick off on September 12th. That feels weird. So, they, you know, that's kind of the situation we're in. Um, I know you said that was my last topic. How Big 12 save itself? I'll throw that at you. No, I've um, talked to a few friends about this. It's It's – we're not. This is one of those things that we're not going to know for five to ten years, but even like even going back to realignment initially when the Big Twelve lost teams and then had to scratch and claw for TCU and West Virginia, that 
at the time, we weren't going to know how it was going to age until five to 10 years had passed, but we knew where it was going to go. The Big 12 was going to take a back back seat in terms of everything, like reputation, recruiting, standing amongst the Power Five conferences, and that's exactly what came to fruition. I think with this, if this season is able to start and finish on its own merit, somehow, some way, then you're going to see a situation where the Big 12 jumps probably the Big 10. Because, in my opinion, they, they've been better than the Pac-12 the last yeah. few seasons. In terms of optics, too, right? Optics, culture, consistency, top to bottom, whatever you want to go. The Big 10, of course, has Ohio State. You know, they won a national championship in 2014. They were in a playoff game last year. They've been in playoff games times. Um, their recruiting classes speak for themselves. But overall, the Big Ten has about the same problem that the Big 12 has, and that is that their one or two, you know, 1A, 1B school is not good. It's not where they should be. Michigan is basically Texas in this scenario. Penn State's really good. Yeah, but historically, it's Ohio State, Michigan. Right. Yeah. Penn State, Wisconsin. Iowa, those schools have had to be the ones that like pick up the slack. And now recently Minnesota, they're a flash in the pan. Michigan State had their run. Nebraska should be better, but we already we've talked about why they're not. Uh, and screw them, by the way. And duh! yeah, we're gonna do it. You know what? Screw it. I know I said that was the last thing. We've got to talk about this though. OU, That's why I was talking about OU this. fans. Do not help Nebraska out. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't screw them. They're the reason. Hey, when you're sitting there during. Um, signing day and you're pissed off that this player didn't choose OU or OU can't sign a bunch of great defensive linemen, blah, blah, blah. You know, Nebraska has a lot of say in that matter. It's not all Nebraska's fault. A lot of OU's recruiting faults are their own, their own doing. Bob Stoops, you know, took his, took his vacations and mailed it in for the last five or six years of his uh, career on the recruiting trail. I think that's uh, easy to see. And that takes a long time to dig yourself out of. But Nebraska destroying the Big 12 by going, I'm tired of Texas telling us what to do. And also, they couldn't beat them on the field. But I'm tired of it. We're going to go to the Big 10. That hurt the Big 12, which makes it harder to recruit here. So, no, screw them. And don't say, well, I just missed that rivalry. Like, I do, too. I've seen, I've been alive for three or four great OU Nebraska games. And I'm a history nerd. I know that rivalry meant so much to so many people, especially around here and especially in Nebraska. I wish it could still go on in a non-conference way. But no, screw them. They made their bed. They need to lie in it. They knew what was going to happen, and they just simply didn't want to get bossed around by Texas in the suit meetings because they couldn't beat them on the field. And as soon as Tom Osborne left and um, – what Pelini. was Not Bo Pelini, the guy that was not – not the throat slash guy. Who was the guy who took over? For, I can't remember. The guy who took over for Tom Osborne. Once that talent went away, Nebraska never really resembled themselves, and that's when it became a problem for them. They didn't? That year with Jared Crick and Tomic and Sue, I mean, they made a couple. They had a great def- defense. Their offense couldn't throw the ball yeah, Taylor forward. Martinez was, I mean, Taylor Martinez or Spencer Sanders, for better example. There you go. Yeah. So that's uh, why OSU doesn't scare me this year. Um, no. Can, can I, can I, let me ask you a question. Good. Let me ask you a question. Would the Big 12 benefit from having no. Nebraska in it? No? no? No, because I think from your earlier question, does this help out the Big 12? And I, th- I think this is going to age to such a degree that Nebraska's going to get Texas and Oklahoma recruiting crowns back. No, I think this is going to age to a point where 
the Big 12 can probably absorb some schools from a conference out west when they dissolve. Yeah, but if what about I mean it's you, there was a report out there obviously we don't know which schools is what it, they said five SEC schools were upset with the SEC about the scheduling and the meet last meeting got contentious because of that. I mean, it makes almost too much sense to not bargain or beg Arkansas and Nebraska to come to this conference. I don't want Nebraska. I don't. It makes they too ru- much sense. They ruined they ruined everything. I mean, uh, Texas did, but Maybe maybe I'm more bitter Texas than- wanting the Longhorn network and Oklahoma wanting their own network. That ro- that is what ruined in Nebraska sucking, that's their fault. That also made it worse for them. I mean, it's not their fault the Big 12 put a second back on the clock. It's not that Nebraska was in the weaker division for 15 years, and they made the Big 12 championship three times. Man, those Kansas State-Nebraska games with Colin Klein would have been fun, though. Here's so, my here's my no, 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 like, here's oh, where, oh, here's where I like, stand. Uh, we we owe them an ass kicking. No, we don't. We are no. we we beat them in the final game. Plus, they're already on schedule to get an ass kicking in twenty one and twenty two. If, yes. if the world is able to come back to normal, so yeah. rest assured, OU it's will kick happen. their ass soon. But I don't want to help them. I no, don't. I get Screw that. Them. I get that. But I think it would help the Big Twelve. I think it helps from a perception, optics, national looking ideal. And then I think at that point. If they do that, then the Big 12, and I know it'd be tough to tell West Virginia to kick rocks, but it almost makes too much sense to tell West Virginia to kick rocks, add Nebraska, add Arkansas, and then add both Arizona schools. And then, sorry, Colorado. I mean, go join the Mountain West. Probably be competitive in that conference. Boise State will still kick your ass. But it can happen. And I'm not. And clearly, the no matter what Nebraska says, I mean, they were – up, they're upset about this deal. Of course they are. Like I'm sure every school in the Big Ten is is upset because this is basically a death sentence. I mean, not every. It seems like Michigan State was on board. That's the they only. have no say at the table because they had like uh, a, they had that rapist guy there yeah. for ten years. So screw Michigan Penn State, State. It, and screw Penn State, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Nebraska, and Iowa. I think are the schools we that we've seen um, come out against. So that's yeah, at least five bad. of the fourteen. But. Um, I mean, Maryland's not. Maryland probably doesn't have the money. Rutgers doesn't have the money to be able to do the three week the testing enough. So I mean, it makes sense. But that's also to the same point of why I brought the question up is because the Big Twelve, how much money each school is ponying up for now to get to make to ensure that this thing happens, yeah, is insurmountable. I mean, I don't know how West Virginia and Texas Tech and Kansas State and Iowa State and Oklahoma State, the bottom five public schools. I don't know how they can how they can afford this. So, you know, with that being said, I think that's going to carry a lot of weight. And I think, like you said, absorbing some schools from the Pac-12, I'm all for that. If it's Arizona, Arizona State, and we call it gravy and we get to 12 teams, that's fine. I just fully believe that you can make it 14, 15, or 16. They say Colorado wants to come back. You can go Colorado and keep West Virginia. I don't know. I just – there is, I think this has now created an avenue to where people are going to be looking to join the Big 12 again, exactly. join Oklahoma yeah. and Texas. And this conference, I think, has saved itself. Yeah. Now, it can, things can change quickly. And if, yeah, and like we've already said, season's probably going to get canceled, so it's not going to matter. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not going to be able to use the, well, we tried on the recruiting trail because, like, the recruits just care about results. Ohio State sure is trying that. 
I, I, my heart goes out to the players because this sucks. This is what they do. We've talked about this already. This is what mm-hmm. they do. And now they just got told a month before, less than a month before kickoff, that no, you're not going to play. Uh, but a petition from Justin Fields is going to change that. When will people rem- like understand <laughs> that petitions don't do anything? <laughs> when has a petition done anything? When has a petition done anything? It's all. This is all I got. I'll take it off the air. You good? <laughs> I'm I think good. we've got everything covered. Screw Nebraska, man. Like, no, I, I'm not down to help them out. I think it benefits everybody. It would benefit old people, no doubt. But recruits, the crowd that primarily watches college football, you know, your, your teenage to 30-year-old, like that crowd, to them, Nebraska – like they're they're like Iowa. Like yeah, I'm sure they they're like, not even Iowa. They're not even Iowa right now. No. So I'm just like whatever. But I think they got the Texas. They got recruiting ground back in Texas and North Texas. They could probably have some success. Of course, um, yeah. Cause Scott Frost can recruit. I mean, clearly we saw that with the way Josh Heupel's been able to have success at UCF. So no, it's it's just one of those situations. I you know, as I said, I think it benefits. It would benefit everybody. Yeah, you get. More, you know, more eyes on the conference because no matter what, when Nebraska's playing, it's going to carry weight. That's why they have them on national television when Ohio State kicks their ass every time. Um, yeah. So it, I think it helps everybody. But I, as I said, I, it's amazing that we're five years away from conference realignment and how COVID nineteen has brought it right up to the table. And I actually enjoy it. I, I think it's for Oklahoma and Texas' sake. It's better for them if they're together, no matter what anybody says. It is better for Oklahoma, Texas to be together, to be in it together. Yes. And I will say this before we sign off, and you know this from what I've told you, I don't think Oklahoma was as much on board as playing this fall as what Texas was, at least initially. I think something happened in that meeting, and I think some of the statements we've seen from Oklahoma in terms of being happy that they increased the protocols, I think unless everybody signed off on this, this is just my read. This is not me knowing anything. I, I can't say I didn't believe Oklahoma was in it um, initially. I, I, I fully believe that based off what I've heard, which is as I, which is why I think there was so much struggle at the table because Texas was all in. Texas was playing football this season. Um, they wanted to play. So it's, uh, you know, it's interesting to see how this is going to turn. And as I said, it's better. It's clear that Oklahoma and Texas are the ones still making decisions in this conference. And they're the ones that hold weight, and it's better for them to be together. And I, I think it's better, um, you know, for the Big Twelve to stay together. Now, I, I don't necessarily agree. Um, for basketball's sake, West Virginia's great, but for the, all the other things, I, I'm not so sure of. And uh, we'll see kind of what comes to fruition. But that's all. That's all I got. That's all I got too. My voice hurts. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. And uh, next week, hopefully, we're still talking about. Uh, kickoff that will be taking place in less than a month. But Keegan, thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll do it again next week. Everybody talk to you later.